<laughs> well, I want to tell you guys a quick story as we start this new series. Um, I kind of shared with our, our volunteers and our staff this morning, one of the things I perceive whenever we start a new series as a church is there's actually a movement of God that comes with it. It kind of seems like, oh, it's just like, a, oh, it's another thing we're talking about. That's what it seems like on the outside. We're going to read another scripture. We're going to talk about another topic, a life topic. But I believe what happens is when we discern these things as a church, like, God, where do you want us to lead? There's actually a movement involved. Amen? Like, God is actually stirring us and drawing us into a deeper knowledge of some kind of wisdom or into some certain passage. And um, God is good. And we just love to just ride the wave of whatever the Lord is uh, wherever he's leading. And so I want to kind of share this because sometimes we forget <laughs> where we come from. Yeah, not just me, anybody else. But a couple of months ago, we had this um, series. We had a transition. Pastor Rick and I transitioned in, in July. Uh, so he's been senior pastor since the dinosaurs roamed. And so he's, his first small group were literally like it was in the Cretaceous. And um, he's finally uh, ready to start jumping into the next season of life. And so what we said, and a lot of people ask me, it's like, Pastor Mark, did you and your dad just switch places? I don't think so. I think what happened is God elevated us both into a new season at the same time. That's the way I see it. That both of us are now uh, walking in, in, in kind of leading, leading in, in new territories. And so God is good and he's leading the whole thing. But I feel like it was a promotion for both of us. And I think at the same time, what was happening was God was saying, okay, if the Spirit is going to do something new inside of a church body, it's not just God being like, ooh, let me do something with the pastor. <laughs> Amen? Let me, not just, let, me just, let me just fiddle with the staff. Let me raise the staff up a little bit. But it's a cockle thing. Amen? That when the tide rises, every boat rises. Does that make sense? And God moves like that. God moves as a rising tide. And when the Spirit of God is here, we all experience freedom. And so we saw that. We had this series called New Wine. Do you remember that? This is like a history lesson of like two months ago. But we did this series called New Wine, talking about the newness that God brings. The ancient of days is new every morning. What a crazy concept. And we had 20 people get baptized. Amen? Can we celebrate that for a second? Let's, not, let's keep remembering the good things that the Lord has done. As he led a bunch of people into baptism, we felt like this new fire, and we went, jumped right into Galatians. Galatians, if you know anything about Galatians, the last five weeks we've talked about the freedom that we have in Christ. Ooh, I love freedom. But it's a freedom from your sin that evil and wickedness because of Christ don't actually have power in my life anymore and yours. Isn't that amazing? That through forgiveness and through the resurrection that we have power to say no to evil, to resist sin, we also have the freedom to say no to religion and laws that, muddle the, that muddy the waters of our faith. And so we get to avoid religiosity and we can walk in total freedom in relationship with God himself. And so in this freedom and in this expectation that God is going to keep doing new things, we kind of find ourselves in this new movement of God we call practicing the way. Now, practicing the way comes from the language. Many times you read it in the book of Acts. The church itself was called the way. They were the people of the way. This is an interesting term. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Some people actually used to call it in, in early church history, they called us the cult of the way. Basically, they looked at us and they said, you have this cult leader named Jesus, and he has all these crazy ideas that you turn the other cheek and you forgive other people and all these kinds of things. And everyone keeps who follows this Jesus guy, which is happening in the thousands, keeps bending their life to make their lives look more like him. It looks like a cult. <laughs> amen. But this is, yeah, amen. This is the good, this is the one cult that matters, right? The cult of the way. But we know that deep down, it's not, we don't have the negative connotations with cult. We, we know that it's a deep connection with Jesus himself that we get to have in this faith. And so 
we, we, when we say practicing the way, this is a movement of God where I believe that God, what God wants to do is help us to shape our lives to look more like him in a really, really practical and intentional way. And so we're going to jump in, but I want to talk about this. This is where I feel like God is moving us as a church right now. And there's a couple ways that we grow spiritually. And I don't, know, I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but you can put every big spiritual moment in your growth, in my growth, into one of two categories. They're very, a little bit simplified, but the categories are these. There's breakthrough moments, and then there's process moments. Breakthrough moments are the times where like, God speaks to us, and we find ourselves weeping on our knees, and we're like, oh my gosh, and worship is off the chain, and we're like, I feel you, Jesus, like you're in the room with us, and they're amazing. They're amazing experiences. Like We need those to remember that God is present and active and like lives within us. It's a beautiful thing. The problem with breakthrough moments is that they come and go. <laughs> They're not all the time. That God shows up in power and might, and, and he, we kind of remember, oh, ra- remember back when Jesus did that great thing in my life? That was awesome. But what happens is we forget to notice God in the everyday things. That we have access to the Holy Spirit the God who's given us forgiveness, eternal life, who's set us free from all evil and wickedness in this world, he's in our midst every single morning. When I wake up early in the morning, he's there with me. When I go through hard times and good times, he's there with us. Amen? So this is the process moments. How connected are you to God on an everyday basis? And this is kind of one of the movements we forget about because we love the breakthrough moments because they they hit us like a, like a sledgehammer sometimes, and it's so easy to see God in those moments. Sometimes it's hard to see him in the little mundane moments of life, but he's there. And so, amen, he is there. And um, so we're going to talk about this Jesus most in this series is the process Jesus, the Jesus, the everyday Jesus, the Jesus that is in your waking and in your lying down, the Jesus that meets you at the table and he meets you when you're alone, that he meets you in community and he meets you anywhere you go. This is the Jesus we're going to kind of unpack and say, hey, Jesus, what might you want us to do in our life as we grow and mature spiritually in these really um, everyday kind of rhythms that we have? So we're going to talk about Jesus. Is that okay? So I love Jesus. And Jesus came into this earth. We know him as many things. Um, let me just hear it. Can you guys just shout him out? Who is Jesus to you? I heard lover, which is awesome. That's <laughs> a great word. <laughs> what did you say, bro? Messiah. Come on. We know him as Messiah. What else? How else do we know Jesus? A counselor, a helper, a redeemer, a friend. Amen. A shepherd. These are all wonderful. We know him as all of these things. But when Jesus came to earth, he actually took primarily in context of the, the first century Jewish context that he came in. He came as a rabbi. Everyone say rabbi. And this matters because Jesus is the great rabbi. And we have to see, we'll see him as he works and as he has, his life shapes around the Father, so we will find ourselves shaping our lives around him. So rabbi is like a teacher or a spiritual leader in that time. So the way the Jewish people worked is they had these rabbis. They would raise their kids from young to know the scripture. And if you made the cut in your older years, then you would be able to follow a rabbi. If you were like Harvard or Yale material. And I'll talk about that because the, the process wasn't easy. So you have these rabbis who um, just know the word. They know the Torah. They know the Hebrew Bible. And they they teach so brilliantly that you can just receive from them and you learn to teach just like them. And a disciple is a follower or an apprentice. Apprentice is probably a better word. 
So for you and I, when we become a follower of Jesus, we're actually apprenticing under Jesus. Isn't that cool? So what is apprentice? If you think of like a carpenter or a plumber or something like that, an apprentice is someone who follows, who shadows you until what? There's a goal. Until you make the cut, you've apprenticed so long, you yourself become what your master taught you how to do. Amen. You become a self-sustaining version of what you are learning how to do. And so this is the call of the disciple of Christ, that there's a goal. We don't fumble through life, but there's actually a, a progress. There's a rhythm that we build up until we become as Jesus would have us become, made more in him, his image and likeness. Are you tracking with me? So here's the process. When you're a Jewish in the Jewish discipleship pipeline, they start kids at six years old. This is all kids. Six to ten years old, you memorize the Torah. That sounds crazy because it's crazy. You memorize the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. That's the Torah. You memorize the Torah from six to ten. Isn't that crazy? Then when you move up, if you do a good job at that, you will move on to like a higher class of that middle age. The 10 to 14-year-olds would memorize the entire Hebrew Bible. I don't know about you guys. When I was like 11 or 12, I could like barely memorize the ABCs. Like I was a bonehead. Like it takes a special type of memory to memorize the entire scripture before you're really hitting your teens. But then you think about it and you're like, how many teenagers these days can quote entire TV shows and quote entire music albums and stuff like that? You know what I mean? We're just memorizing the wrong thing. When you became, when you were a Jewish person, they wanted you to know this is the most important thing to memorize is scripture. You have the word of God, you strap it to your head, you strap it to your hands, you know it when you go down, you know it when you wake up, it's always around you. It shapes you. The word of God is living and active and they had a high honor for the Hebrew scripture. And then kids 14 plus, if you were like top of the class and not only in 10 to 4, that middle class, the 10 to 14, not only are they learning Hebrew scripture, but they're learning the rabbinic method of, of education. The rabbinic education type was answering questions with questions. The Greek style is student asks a question and the teacher tells you a response. In the Jewish rabbinic tradition, they teach you how to answer questions with other questions. Here's an example. If, if, you, if I asked you as a teacher, what is two plus two? You would say four. <laughs> but if you are learning it in a Jewish system, if the teacher asks you what's 2 plus 2, you would answer by saying, well, what is 16 divided by 4? You see what I'm saying? So there's a way to answer the question but using another question to show a deeper understanding of the question that was asked to you. Does this make sense? Because we see Jesus perpetuating this rabbinical way of teaching throughout Scripture. So the fun fact, too, remember when Jesus was in the temple? Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, and he's in the temple, and he's learning uh, or they, they can't find him anywhere. And they go in there, and it says it's really interesting. In Luke chapter 2, it says that they, they lost him, but when they found him in the temple, he was asking the spiritual leaders questions, and it says that they were amazed at his answers and understanding. Wait, what? He was asking them questions, but they were amazed at his understanding and answers? But I thought he was asking questions. Exactly. He was answer, asking questions to show his understanding. That's the rabbinical message. So Jesus was 12 years old when that happened. It made it clear. So he was in that age group. He was in the age group where you're learning how to ask questions. Does that make sense? So this is the pipeline. And when you become like a great teacher, they see you have a great mind in your early teens, then a rabbi will sit and interview with you. A rabbi will interview and he say, 
if you want to know, if you want to teach like I teach, and if you want to follow me and do what I do, I'm going to test you and grill you to see that you know everything that you're supposed to know. And remember, the goal of a rabbi, if you're the teacher, you're a spiritual leader, the traditions of the people are passed on through the scripture. There's a giant kuleana that's attached to that. So you're picking the brightest of the brightest to make sure that the, the, the lifeline of the people still exists. So in the Talmud, which is the oral tradition, here's a quote. It says this, under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a pupil. So if you're five and under, we don't see you as a student. But from six upwards, we accept him and stuff him with the Torah like an ox. Isn't that crazy? When you turn six, you will be stuffed with the Bible like an ox. Isn't that amazing? I just, I'm like, literally, like my, <laughs> my, my kids do not eat scripture like an ox. Mine like pick at it like a chicken. You know what I mean? We got, I have a lot of work to do. But Jewish, uh, here's another quote from jo- jo- Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He says this, above all, we pride ourselves in the education of our children. Isn't that good? We pride ourselves in the education of our children. And he goes on later in that little quote to say that it's through our children that our whole way of being continues to exist. And we know this, like in Hawaii, we have a similar kind of concept. I remember meeting this uncle on Moloka'i from um, 2018 when we went. And he's on the east side in Halava Valley. And if you don't know Halava Valley, it's deep jungle, really rich spiritual tradition over there. And his ancestors grew up in Halava Valley. And so he's learned the stories. He's learned the mo'olelos. He's learned the ways. He's learned how malama aina specifically in that valley. So he has all the knowledge and all the information. And he spends half his time in Halava, but for some reason he spends half his time in Kailua, right here. Just because marriage and stuff like that. And so one of our students, I remember, asked him, they said, Uncle, how come you don't just spend all your time in Kailua? Why do you keep going back to Halava Valley? And I remember he told him, he's like, eh, you know what Kuleana is? You know what this divine responsibility is? It means that I have to carry the knowledge because it's up to me to make sure the next generation not only knows it, but they're raised to a level where they can then teach it and keep it perpetuating. There's actually a goal for a rabbi that your students would have this divine responsibility to carry what you carry so that they might even do better than you did. Does that make sense? And you might, might be going to what Jesus said. He says, greater things you'll do in my name. That's the heart of a rabbi. You'll do, I've taught you everything you need to know. You're going to do so many greater things when I'm gone. This is the heart. We pass information. We pass way of life through these things. And this is going to come to a, a culminating point. If you're like, why are we talking about old Jewish things? It'll make sense. But I want to share you this, this disciple's blessing in the oral tradition. It says this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Amen. What a beautiful picture. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. To be called by a rabbi was a high honor and a privilege. Not everyone made it. If you weren't smart enough, if you're like me, like high school, I had a 2.9 GPA. Okay, I'm just throwing it all out there. I had a 2.9. Most of you guys probably did better than me in high school. I wouldn't have been able to go to college, so to speak. I wouldn't have been able to follow a rabbi because people would have looked at me and be like, ah, take up the trade of your father, which I did. That's kind of funny. <laughs> That's awesome. So good. Wow, the Lord has this. Oh, wow. So... If you don't make it in scripture school, in the Jewish tradition, you become what your father became. And so we have Jesus now thinking about that for a second. If you were the disciples who were fishermen, and Jesus approaches you and asks you to follow him as a rabbi, they've already missed the mark. 
they're not smart enough to follow a rabbi because they missed that 14-year-old cutoff where you would have interviewed with a rabbi and they would have said, I want you to follow me or, sorry, you need to go check up the trade of your father. There's a, there's a, a culminating point. There is a, 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 what do you call those? A fork in the road for every young Jewish person. And so Jesus steps onto the scene here in Matthew. Oh, not there. Oh, not there either. Oops, sorry. Wrong passage. Um, okay, well, I'm going to read it. <laughs> it's not Matthew uh, 14. It's actually, um, if you have your Bibles, you can read it. It's Mark chapter 1. So Jesus tells a story. He says, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me. He said, follow me and I will have you become fishers of men, fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And after they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went away and followed him. I've always wondered this passage because you're like, why would Jesus, this random guy, come up and be like, hey, stop fishing, come and follow me. He must have been really persuasive. That's a really powerful two words, follow me. And people are like, I will, <laughs> you know, I will follow. Wait, let me finish my catch first. They dropped their nets. Something happened in that moment that we can't tell. I think one of the things that the history tells us is for a man who's men who've already missed the market following a rabbi in life, who've taken up fishing like their father, to have a rabbi come to you and say, hey, you're not done. I believe in you. Come and follow me. There's a high, a raising, an elevating that your status now is high as a Jewish man. That, oh my gosh, I'm a little bit old for this, but I think, I think I'm going to do it. If he, th- if he believes in me, if my rabbi believes in me, I can do it. Amen? That's the confidence they left with. And when they left the boat, it says they left Zebedee. They left their dad, right? Like, shoots dad, I'm out. I'm going to go follow this random guy into the bushes. Like, It feels weird. Like as a father, you're like, wait, where are you guys going? You got to finish your job. For a father to say, oh my gosh, my sons have a second chance. What a powerful opportunity. I imagine Zebedee the next day walked out. And when Zebedee walked out into the town, he's like, my sons are following a rabbi. Wait, I thought they were fishers. Yep. But a rabbi asked them to follow them. That's bonkers. That's, That's wild. So there's a pride with following your rabbi. Isn't that beautiful? So this is what this is the context of where we're walking in when we when we we're introduced to Jesus. So we have this. Um, sorry, slides are a little out of order. Sorry, John 15. He says this in John chapter 15. You did not choose me, but what? I chose you. What an honor. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and that wherever you might ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, to love one another. Amen? When he says, I have chosen you, you have not chosen me, this isn't his stance on Calvinism. Okay? Like, wait, who picked who here? This is, if you're into theology, he's saying, I as a rabbi chose you. Usually, you have to choose your rabbi. You audition for a rabbi, but he says, I came and I picked, I hand-selected you guys. 
And so when we talk about following the way of Jesus, and I feel like where you and I might grow this season, it's going to happen with three big movements in our own walk. And number one is this, receiving the the idea that we are disciples. We're followers and apprentices of Christ. We're moving towards a place where our life looks more like Jesus. He says this, the first one is this, is there's the following the way of Jesus means that there is a call to be with him. Amen? There's a call to be with him. You can't learn from your rabbi if you're not actually with him. When in those days you would follow your rabbi and you would do whatever they would do. You would stay close, hence the blessing. May the dust of your rabbi cover you. Because you're so close to him that the dust that he stirs up is absolutely saturating your clothes. That's how close I am to my rabbi. I'm watching every movement. I'm watching everything he does. I'm listening to how he teaches. Because one day, my job is to be a rabbi as he was a rabbi. Amen? You guys following? So, thank you. So, now we go to Peter. Sorry, they're kind of out of order. Now we go to Matthew 11. Oops. Jana, I'm going to have you find Matthew 11 for me. (laughs) I'm just like, boop, boop, boop. Thanks so much. So in Matthew chapter 11, this... um, I'm sorry, Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we have this moment where Jesus and Peter, he calls Peter out as a disciple. And you guys know this story. So they're out on the boat. They're out on the boat. And Jesus calls Peter in and says, Peter, come out on the water with me. And so Peter has this decision. Do I get out and step out on the boat when my rabbi calls? Do I follow him, right? Remember, we're called to be with him. Do we, we're called to be close to him. Do I actually walk out and do that? Or do I just be like, no, you good, Jesus. I don't know what you're doing out on the water, but I'm going to stay right here in the boat. It's an act of faith. And you know the story. Peter says, it says this, then Peter got out of the boat. He's like, I'm going to chance him. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said this, you of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And this caught me this, with this passage this week. I was blown away because we hear these sermons all the time. You have to have faith in Jesus, right? He's saying ye of little faith, but Jesus wasn't sinking, Right? His lack of faith wasn't in a lack of faith in Jesus. It was a lack of faith in his own ability, right? So here's what I want. Like, I was just processing. Like, again, we hear it over and over that we must have faith in Jesus. But has it ever dawned on you that actually Jesus has faith in you? That he wouldn't call you if he didn't think that you could do what he's asked you to do. Amen? How does that work in your own life? That God has called you out and asked you to do things, and your lack of faith isn't in his power, it's in your ability. It's in that I don't believe that Christ believes in me. Does that make sense? Christ believes in you, family. He believes in you. If he has called you to do something, that means that he knows that you have the power and the ability to walk into it. This is the power, the honor of being a disciple, that my rabbi believes in me. He called me when nobody else did. He calls me to do miraculous things when I feel like I can't do it in my own strength. Isn't that amazing? This is the power of living with the one rabbi. And realize this, that every rabbi had a rabbi. 
They all taught from, were taught from someone. Who was Jesus, Rabbi? Who did he learn from? The Father himself. He is the teacher who didn't, he doesn't carry the yoke of someone else. He carries his own, the yoke of the Father. He carries the teachings of his own Father directly from heaven. So Jesus gives us a different kind of discipleship, which is amazing. So I want to just echo this right now. Number two in following the way Jesus is, number one is a call to be with him, and number two, it's a call to be like him. Are you like Jesus? I was reminded of this story of the, this last week of the woman, the prostitute, who washed her hair, her perfume in her hair and washed Jesus' feet with it. Could you imagine what would have happened if Jesus walked into town smelling like a prostitute? Or they saw the prostitute and said, oh, yeah, you smell like Jesus. Does that make sense? To, to wear the same odor as Jesus is such a privilege. It's such an honor. And this is the calling for us as a church, is that to practice the way of Jesus, I want to smell like him. I want to look like him. I want to talk like him. I want as a disciple, as does to a rabbi, I want to mimic him in every way possible, not in a way of, of just copycatting, but I want him to transform me, to fill me. The life that he has, I want that life in me. Amen? This is the practicing the way of Jesus. So we have the call to be with him. We have the call to be like him. And number third, number third, number third, we have the call to do what he did. We have the calling to do what he did. This is the way of Jesus. I'm going to be with him. I'm going to be like him. And I'm going to do what he did. It's really simple, yeah? But it's easier said than done. So the, when we do what he did, we see him do miracles. Our calling. He, send us, he, he did this throughout the scripture. He sent out his disciples. And he said, go and do as I have done. He taught them how to cast demons out of people. He taught them how to heal people. He taught them how to preach. He taught them how to do everything. He taught them how to pray. Everything that Jesus did, he spent his life teaching his disciples. And then as a good rabbi does, he says, now go and make more disciples. You've been taught by the great rabbi. Now go and teach others how to be rabbis. This is the calling of the church. So this is one of the things where we have to step in as a church because most often than not, we have made Christianity, we have made our faith, and this isn't like a, an accusation, but for all, a lot of us, I found myself in these seasons, we make our faith about believing. We come and we're like, Lord, I want to believe in you, but I don't want to follow you. <laughs> Amen? There's this great story when um, my wife and I were in college, and we were driving to um, this mountain resort. It sounds really fancy. Our family meets there every, uh, like every Christmas. And so we're driving through the mountains, and I asked my uncle. This is before GPS, okay? So we had MapQuest. Anybody remember MapQuest? So you print out the directions, and then you, you put it on the dashboard, and you're like, I can't miss this turn. And if you have to, you have to like actually go in reverse if you miss your turn and stuff. It's terrible. It's terrible. What a blessing, young people. You guys have GPS. So we're driving in these twice twisty mountain roads, and there's all these turnoffs into the forest and all this kind of stuff. My uncle just puts the pedal to the metal, and he's like, I'm out of here. So my job is to follow. His job is to lead me there. But I couldn't keep the pace that he was leading, and so he books it out of there, and we lost him. And we said, well, thank goodness me and Meg had MapQuest. But now there's another variable. We're running out of gas, and we're out in the mountains. There's not a lot. Of, there's no gas stations out there. So we're like, okay, we can't make one wrong turn here. Because if we're done and our phone doesn't work, there's no reception out in the mountains, like we were actually kind of panicking. Remember that? We were like, Meg's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're doing this, and we're following. And, and 
we finally navigate. We're going very slowly and cautiously, but we took turns we weren't supposed to take. And we missed the mark a few times, but we literally putt-putted into the resort, and we told the guy, right when the valet guy came out, and he said, hey, do you guys have any gas? <laughs> so he's like, he brought out a jerry can and filled us out. It was so ghetto. But it was awesome. So he filled us up. We were good. But what I realized in that moment is that if we don't want to miss in the time that we have the calling and the direction that God has for us, we have to stay close to our rabbi. Amen? We got to follow close because the moment we distance ourselves from our rabbi is the moment we start taking twists and turns that we find we don't, it's not getting us to the destination he had along for us the whole time. May we be the type of people that practice the way of Jesus in such a way where the dust of the rabbi stains our clothes. We're that close. Remember the story of the woman who comes and grabs Jesus' cloak. And he stops because there's a crowd. He's like, wait, who grabbed my cloak? To Jesus, the proximity in that moment that someone would reach out and grab the cloak in faith was someone, he's like, this person gets it. You stay close to your rabbi. And the robe, fun fact, the robe that he was wearing was a prayer shawl that rabbis wore. So reaching out and grabbing the cloak wasn't just being like, excuse me, mister. It was like acknowledging, you're my rabbi. He got it. It was an act of faith that she grabbed his cloak. So for us, what does this mean? The next, in the next season, this next couple weeks, we're going to be doing something. I'm going to show you with an illustration. We're going to be doing something um, called spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline does not sound sexy, right? You're like, oh my gosh, spiritual discipline? What are you talking about? But I want to show you in a way that might make a little bit more sense. And uh, a spiritual discipline, we read in John chapter 15. Um, Keith, can you grab this stool? Thanks. We read in John chapter 15, Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. You see this little flower? That's us. We're the little branch. When we abide in the vine, we remain in him, we bear much fruit. See those peas? That's the fruit. So this is one native pea plant. Thanks. Your and my job is to stay so close to our rabbi that when we abide in him, he bears fruit in us. And we talked about before, abiding is simple. It's resting. It's just being present and resting in the goodness that God has for us. Abide in him, and your life is going to be fruitful. People are going to see you and smell you and be like, you smell like Jesus. That's the goal. I want to smell. I want to have the odor, the fragrance of Jesus. That's why I'm growing my hair out, because I try to like, look like him. But here's the problem with a vine. If you've ever tried to grow the vine in your yard, the vine will grow Eventually, if it's up perked like this, onto the ground. If a vine grows on the ground, the branches will get so far on the ground, typically moisture on the ground, rain will rot the branches. If there's fruit laying on the ground or flowers, they'll get trampled or eaten by animals. Vines do best when they climb. Does that make sense? So back in the 5th century, early Christians said this. They said, we need to have a rule of life. Everyone say rule of life. A rule of life. And a rule of life is not like, oh, I have to have like a regulation, like some kind of like stern motto over my life. You must not, shall not. It's nothing like that. Rule comes from the word regulos, meaning regular, also was the word in the time for trellis. Everyone say trellis. So a trellis is something that the vine grows on so that when you put it in the dirt, the vine has a chance to climb and a couple things happen. When the vine starts climbing up on the trellis, it'll start grabbing on, not like that, but as it starts grabbing on, the branches can expand, 
the fruit, the fruit is safe and off the ground, and the whole plant will thrive because you're giving it something to climb on. Does that make sense? So for you and I, our spiritual growth is represented by our abiding in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the only one who transforms us. Not anything I can do, but him alone. What we can do, our partnership and transformation, is habituating my life as a disciple around my rabbi, where I build a trellis so that the vine may fruitfully grow fruit in my life. Does that make sense? I have to give the spirit room to work. I have to give him a trellis to climb on. And so this is where spiritual disciplines come in. And here's my picture of a trellis. So these are basic spiritual practices that Jesus did. Scripture, prayer, fasting. When the people wrote the Bible, they said, watch as Jesus. They're writing you as, so that you as the future disciples can see this is what your rabbi looked like. This is what he did. You see how he went off to the garden to pray? You see that he only walked at three miles per hour and he was present with everybody around him? You show, see that how he showed generosity to everyone he was with? Extreme hospitality. Jesus would invite people in and invite himself over to other people's houses. He would invite the strangers, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all of them. He had extreme hospitality. Did you see how he needed community and he called a group of disciples to be his brothers? Did you see how he walked in Sabbath, that he would rest and that he would become the Lord of the Sabbath and redefine it? Do you see that he went to scripture and prayer and fasting in every big decision? This is the way of our rabbi. Amen? And this trellis represents, that's a picture of a trellis, if you can get it. The trellis we build is on these practices of Jesus, these core practices of Jesus, where I believe if you and I can work at habituating our lives around the way that Jesus was, not just we know he's the Messiah, we believe, we have faith in him, but do you have enough faith to walk in the way that he walked, to habituate yourself around his rhythms and his practices. This is where it's a sacrifice for us. I'm looking at this list and I'm like, man, I don't live in simplicity. I'm a hoarder. I'm, I'm going to be real with you guys. I keep, I, you guys, I get one truck. I drive around the street. Every time I see something on the side road, I throw them in my truck and I take them home because bug is free and I'm going to take them. That's my thing. But here's the thing. There's something in my heart where when I follow Jesus, there's a capacity for the Holy Spirit to do a work when I start discerning, I don't need all this. I can start giving this away. And as I do that, it gives the Spirit freedom to do what he needs to do in my life, to grow me into Jesus' likeness. Does that make sense? So here we are as a church for this next six weeks, six, seven weeks. And I want to pray this over us as the worship team starts coming up. I want to pray this for us that we would start building as we, they prayed or they sang, we're building a firm foundation. We're building a trellis in our life so that the vines of transformation can actually grow and grab onto something. That there might be a substantive difference in your life because of the way that you're habituating yourself around our rabbi. So here's my pray for, prayer for us. is just as we started with, is that this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi as Jesus stirs up love and compassion and generosity before us. May we be so close with him. May we be abiding in him that everything that comes out of Jesus' life would stick with us, transform us. And we don't want just new behaviors. We're not just trying to look to be good people. I want to be transformed from the inside out. I don't know about you. I want that transformation to continue. I want to be as generous and compassionate and loving as Christ himself was. So could we stand this morning? And I'm going to pray over all of us as a church as we begin this next movement of God together. May this be a time 
of discipline, of structure, allowing the holiness of God to pervade our life through the way that we enter into spiritual practices as a church family. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we're so grateful for everything you're doing in our lives. God, we thank you for you being the one who transforms us. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing we can do to change ourselves other than partner with you in this great work. Jesus, I pray that you would be, have us be attentive, Lord, to where we're weak and where our lives are wandering. We're being shaped by the ways of this world and not shaped by you. We pray, Jesus, as our rabbi, would we be blessed by the call that you have called us out of darkness and into light. You've called us to lay our nets down and follow you. Jesus, may this not just be about believing in you, but actually doing what you've done and being with you as we do it and being like you in the process. God, that you would change us. Father, we just pray against superficial Christianity. That's what we're praying for. We're praying, God, that there would be an authentic expression of the love of Christ that would flow out of us and that we would have the diligence on our part to build this trellis, God, so your spirit may flourish in us. May we not hinder your work in our hearts. May we never hinder when, God, you called us to a higher purpose. May we never settle for less. What a waste of good fruit. Jesus, I pray that we would ripen as a crop in here this morning. Father, that there would be a new, uh, a new yellowing of the mangoes, Lord. It's the visual I get. Father, that you would raise us to a new level as a church where people would look into New Hope Kailua and be like, wow, they really love Jesus. <laughs> Lord, that's all we want. We want to be with you, for you, like you. God, I want the desires of my heart to be your desires. God, we want our, the way that we... God, the way that we steward the things you've given us, we want it to be as you would steward them. Father, we want to have heaven's eyes and heaven's ears as we move into this next season. So Jesus, pour those things into us. Thank you for being the great rabbi who's shown us the way. Who, God, who's answered all of our questions. And God, is that we might find life and hope in being close enough to get dirty from your sandals. God, may you be the one who grows us and flourishes us and thrives us in this next season. God, it's all for you that we pray all of these things. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together. Aloha, church family. Thank you so much for joining with us in worship this morning. We truly hope that you were refreshed and, and strengthened in your faith during these crazy pandemic days. We want, invite you to look at all of our messages. They're available on our YouTube channel. We'd also invite you to download our church app. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch, to communicate, also for you to receive materials. So uh, take advantage of downloading that church app. We would invite you to partner with us as we continue serving God faithfully during these days. And you can give online, you can give on our website, uh, or mail a check into our street address. We really appreciate your support with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace. We love you. Aloha.